0: My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides. Making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art. Which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Apocalypse, apocalypse, why you wanna show up? to get where the getting is good mm-hmm. hello my friends and listeners this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming coming to you with another episode of Euripides Humanities a theater history podcast Boy, oh boy, kids, I got a great one for you today. I have a guest who was on episodes nine and 10, in which we introduced something of a new format to this program called the postmortem, where we are looking at a musical or a show and wondering why it was successful or why it was not. And if you've uh, gone back and listened to episodes nine and 10, or if you haven't, go and do it. uh, We discussed the often lamented spider-man musical which i think we ended up thinking it wasn't really all that bad and it actually ran for quite a while but it just did not have a shelf life but uh coming back to the program i'm going to introduce you to my friend producer richard jordan hello richard hello aaron and hello everyone it's good to, uh, good to be back with you and uh, i've got my scalpel
1: and pins all set for another dissection so i'm i'm looking <laughs> forward to it and
0: Yes. Beaming across to Sheridan from London. So we're we're meeting in cyberspace somewhere in the middle, which is fantastic. Yes. And I am so, I feel like actually quite lucky to get you on the program. You have had quite a busy 2022 with everything opening up and the West End and your projects in the in the U.S. And, and the unfortunate side of things is you're seven hours ahead of me right now. So you are giving up a very relaxing evening, late night, to talk to me in the middle of the afternoon. The one, the one good thing about
1: this is, and if, if listeners are listening from the U.K., um, and hello to all of them, uh, is... Is, uh, the fact that uh, theater people tend to keep quite late hours. Yes. So um, you know, <laughs> I, so I don't know whether who's it, Toby Belcher says. I don't know whether it's good night or good morning. In, well, in, in yeah, right. Night or mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's yeah. a bit, a bit the same, bit the same with that, really.
0: Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I got to mention something here. Um, I have come out in a, a few of my episodes here recently. I think I started in uh, uh, twenty four, where I was talking about, you know, as we m- emerge out of this pandemic. I think it is going to be an like a top priority for artists to focus on reconnecting people with delight and joy and just feeling good. Cause over two years of pandemic, we all just fell into a general malaise and, uh, i was looking at your recent columns richard and by god if you didn't just write something very similar <laughs> yeah yeah i think it was when i wrote i wrote a weekly column as
1: you know for the stage and uh i think it was one a little while back saying actually as we come out of the gloom you know that that feeling of of joy is but i have to say from a producing standpoint i mean you know it's very important to have a complete mix of theater going on but you know, actually, it's been a pretty tough time to be, you know, going through what we've all gone through through the, in in the theatre industry, and actually having something that that brings you a bit of joy as you're putting it on and, and making you smile in the theatre yourself as you produce a show is oh. also a, a, a great a great feeling actually. And I think there will be that drive of audiences who are coming back, especially domestic audiences, occasional theatre business visitors who are looking for those shows that will. Send them out with a smile on your face. I mean, right. what we can't do is right. also forget the importance that theatre has of the exchange and the message and the conversation that it leads its way on, and so many other things. So Correct. it's really making sure we've got the balance of those two things happening. But hey, you know, theatre at the end of the day, also we want to also come and be entertained and have a great night out, and if we're going to come back to the theatre and start that happening again. And you know, good, yeah, good, good on us for doing that. And, yeah. and you know, it's nice to be sitting in in build in theatres again with 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 people watching shows and sharing the live experience yeah as well yeah
0: Um, as of today's recording I just opened a a community theater production of first date last night and we opened to a a full house there are only 83 seats in 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 the arrangement we set up in our black box theater but full house nonetheless and my god just the, the the feeling of even when we screwed up they were like that's okay we're just happy to be here I'm so glad you're entertaining us and making us like feel some kind of a humor again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just great. It was just if, great. if
1: you've not checked it out and if listeners haven't checked it out, go to go on to YouTube because they you can watch it there and just watch the uh, the first performance back of Wicked on Broadway. And, oh yeah. Uh, the line where Galinda comes out and says, it's good to be back, isn't it? Which is her first line in the show. And just that reaction, because, you know, it must've been overpowering to sit in the theater, but actually it kind of overpowered me just watching that moment on, on, on YouTube in the film. Oh,
0: oh, oh yeah. You mean when Kristen Chenoweth came out and reintroduced it? Well, Kristen Chenoweth comes out at the start. If, you, if, if people watch the YouTube and see, she says, welcome yeah. back
1: everyone. But then they show yeah. the start of the show and the start of the show, of course, Galinda makes her first entrance and her first entrance in Wicked, her very first line in the show is, I think it's good. It's good to see me, isn't it? Which is her actual line in the script, and of course, it's re- reacted with a almost a standing ovation from the audience, and, uh. and I think it actually spoke to almost the whole of of us all in the theatre industry, because actually, right. you know, it felt like maybe in that second, we're just emerging a little bit back into the light again of what's been a, a really tough and very difficult two, two, two years. And it continues to be, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we know oh, yeah. that COVID yeah. isn't over. We, we, you know, it, it, as we speak at the minute, Broadway has got lots of actors currently off in shows. We've had the same situation happening in, in London. So, you know, the, 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 the we, we've still got a few more rocky you know months and, and, and time to get through yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here's a, I'll take a funny sidebar on that. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth uh, opened that show and introduced it. Earlier that week, I had seen her in concert in Billings, Montana. (laughs) So she was, she was getting around um
1: but anyway it's a bit speaking... like john travolta john travolta funny <laughs> enough in my home in my in my home i come originally from norfolk and last saturday john travolta was spotted in a in a supermarket in norfolk and a week before he'd been in in la presenting an oscar and oh, he would suddenly, turned up, and, he'd suddenly <laughs> turned up in he suddenly turned up in morrison's which if uk listeners will know is a is a shop that you know it's kind of like a regular maybe like a walmart really and he okay, was basically yeah. going around doing his shopping in this tiny little village tiny little market town in norfolk where it turned out he was filming the security guard couldn't <laughs> <laughs> believe it first they had to double check it and he was basically signing <laughs> packets of sausage rolls for people who were going up and asking asking <laughs> him who was sign things Couldn't, could not believing that john travolta happened to be standing in this supermarket it made all the oh sort of local God.
0: newspaper stories and things and stuff so oh, you so never funny. you never know who's going to be in a shopping aisle yeah like, exactly exactly well getting back to the idea of of bringing back shows for the purpose of joy uh i got a story here today richard or at least i picked a show that I want to pick apart because there could have been so many places that this show would not have worked or would have met with backlash or would have met with pressure. And it probably did on some level, but this show came out full force, smelling like a rose. So here we go. Nice. Right. We should have a little drum roll, but we haven't. Got Two well-known entertainers were in New York City in the mid-2000s working on an upcoming film. It was a project that included something they had never really done before, puppets. And not just any kind of puppets, marionettes. They just couldn't get the hang of it from a storytelling perspective. So to mitigate their frustration, it was suggested to them that they should take in a Broadway show. And it just so happened that a very popular Broadway musical at the time was playing right then. It had won several awards and prominently featured puppets. The entertainers I'm talking about are Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park. The musical they attended was Avenue Q, written by uh, co-written by Robert Lopez. Now, when Lopez found out that Parker and Stone were in the house that night, after getting over being starstruck, Lopez had sent them an invitation to meet up with him after the show. Over an evening of drinks, they conceived of one of the most popular musicals to ever hit Broadway, The Book of Mormon. <laughs> and that's what we're going to be discussing today very good absolutely so here's some quotes uh from trey parker and matt stone about their their sit down and their initial conversation with robert lopez meeting after seeing his avenue queue. trey parker says we went out that night and obviously just hit it off so well that we started talking and seeing that we shared a love for mormons (laughs) like a hobby. It just became ridiculously obvious that we should team up and do something, something about Mormons. Matt Stone says, Bobby is about five years younger than Trey and me. So he was looking to us as like elder statesmen or something, totally unwarranted. Like, hey, okay, you guys have been in the business a long time. What should I try to do next? And so our Pat Dopey answer to this was, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to do something about Joseph Smith and the Mormons. And we were like, what? Wait a second. Nobody nobody likes that stuff for, except for us, you know? Nobody. Only me and Trey have ever talked about that. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> so just a fantastic meeting of the minds. like One of those lightning has just struck. <laughs> and
1: know? how interesting, actually, as well about the timing, because you have to wonder if Avenue Q hadn't hadn't happened before that, Mm -hmm. then this conversation would never have happened at that particular point. And actually the inspiration of Avenue Q and what it showed it could do in that, particular moment probably opened up a, a passage on, on on Broadway indeed for for, yes. for, a, for a former musical and of course the the, the, the big difference between Mormon and, and Avenue Q is of course Mormon because of the nature perhaps of who was writing it it it, it began as a, as a as a commercial Broadway juggernaut the success oh, yeah. of Avenue oh, yes. Q you have to look to the Vineyard Theatre and remember uh, one yep. which is where I saw it originally off Broadway and how that show nurtured and then made that 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 step to Broadway, so it wasn't a sort of slam dunk journey. And in fact, there's a an interesting thing that that Avenue Q was really going to be the um the the the, the gamble of the season when it came in. The show that they actually oh, yeah. thought was going to be the hit was Taboo, the Boy George musical, which Rosie O'Donnell was producing. And of course, yes, Taboo, we've talked about and sadly that. and very unfairly. Uh, you know failed on Broadway but it was a a, a, a great mistake The production that they made on Broadway and uh, Rosie O'Donnell made a lot of uh, poor producing choices in contrast yeah. to the success of it had been in London um, but you know uh, and Wicked I think was also in the same season and Avenue Q was this I think underdog right. yeah. that came up and and sort of you know Stole stole the crown, man.
0: Yep. And here's something even more interesting about that. When uh, uh, Trey Trey Parker and Matt Stone sat in the house that night, uh, you know, they were told uh, about what Avenue Q was, and they're like, you know, that's kind of funny because, like, this is the kind of stuff that we would write. Like, we would we would take an idea like Sesame Street and totally bastardize it like this, but for the for the sake of like serious social commentary and satire. Um, and as they're looking through the playbill, they see in the very special thanks, their names, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, directly put there by Robert Lopez. So if it hadn't been for South Park and everything that they had done to inspire Robert Lopez to write in the way that he did, you wouldn't have had Avenue Q. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it's it's interesting how all of those things collide and and about the power of influence and how people right. are, are influenced by something and actually you know not always do they have that chance to have that meeting because sometimes something that influences someone can be you know from from a long long time ago and and, and those writers are, are, are not even alive or, or, yep. or bad anymore so the fact that you had this this meeting of these people at this time at that second that could come together and and then the rest sort of becomes history with what happens after that
0: yep so Over the next several years, around the South Park production schedule, plus completion, press tour, and release of Parker and Stone's marionette spoof Team America World Police, the three met when they could to get Book of Mormon written and workshopped. After only 28 previews, the Book of Mormon opened at the Eugene O'Neill Theater on Broadway on March 24, 2011, and ran continuously until Broadway shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic on March 13, 2020. It returned to Broadway on November 5th, 2021. And as of today's recording, has run 3921 performances. Uh, <laughs> quite something, really. But also so, what it's also what's also not down in that statistic,
1: and it would be interesting to know it, is how many people have discovered Broadway and come to Broadway because of that show. Yeah, because I think it's also yep. probably one of the most successful shows has been a catalyst for bringing in new audiences mm-hmm. and finding a new audience that's 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 coming to Broadway as a as, as a yep. result of, of yep, world. and indeed the West End and 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 other
0: places where and it's all, all its like. all its international and touring productions absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So and actually, I'll, I mean,
1: I'll... I was going to say actually, if you compare it to a show like Jerry's Spring of the Opera, which of course, oh right, yeah happened in in london the national theater came into the west end and wasn't as successful in the west end and indeed on tour i i think it's it's interesting because book of mormon has has, has played itself in a slightly different way to to that show and it's really understood how to hit a, a commercial market of, uh, right. of, of of south park fans, but also how you also attract that old school broadway audience in as well yeah uh, and yeah. it's managed to find a fusion that i think has worked successfully and it's right. uh it's a, it's a great lesson in, in, in how you can make those shows really succeed and fly, actually.
0: See, and you might be leading into what I was going to ask you next, uh, because what I like to do with my episodes is I start by asking a question and keeping in mind that this is a post-mortem episode, despite that the play is still running. I'll ask this. In short, why did the Book of Mormon work? <laughs> <laughs>
1: The Book of Mormon works simply on, I think, fundamentally one thing, which is the absolute glue of any musical, mm-hmm. which is to quite literally the book. Um, yeah. You could actually do the Book of Mormon as a play without the songs. Correct. In a, in a, yeah, in I a, think you're right. In a, in a musical, you have to always ask yourself the question when you write or you produce one, why do they need to stop talking and start singing? Yep. Uh, you have to understand how the show joins and how it works and, and of course, the glue to any musical um, is, is its book. It's the, it's the absolute guide, the Bible. It's what makes a show work and what makes it succeed. And indeed, if you can get it right, makes it timeless. Um, Correct. And yeah. I think Book of Mormon is a, is a, is a very strong example of, of, of skilled book writing actually. And uh, you can see that those writers actually went off and looked at a lot of other musicals. I, I actually suspect they probably looked quite closely at shows like The Producers and shows like that as well as to as to how that form of yeah. comedy worked on on Broadway and how you how you make that succeed. But also a lot of the you know the the, the older comedy musicals as well because actually oh, yeah. there's a lot yes. of old style humor in Book of Mormon that it doesn't you know it's very clever in how it paces itself and how it guides itself through its story. Um, but its structure is 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 really tight and. Very slick, right. and I think that's also another skill, possibly coming out of it. With with writers who have to write thirty minute episodes of a TV comedy show or something like, that. you have to learn to write in quite a clipped way to make that work. So you've got to keep the pace of a scene going really, really skillfully. Um, it's why I often think that when I produce writers, sometimes who've been sketch writers, they sometimes make oh, extremely yeah. good. it it's make extremely good playwrights because if you've got a ten minute sketch you have to work out the arc of that sketch and how you get to the point in the punchline of the hit. And the you've entire got story right hitting. there. Now, if you take that and say, okay, South Park, I think it's mostly a 30, if I think about it, that's the Simpsons about a 30 minute episode
0: that plays each time. Yeah, night. like so, like maybe 25 minutes of footage with the ads yeah. put in, yeah.
1: So you have to understand the arc of a scene when you write something like that. You've got mm-hmm. to work out how you bridge it, how you get to it, how you make it work and 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 the speed and the pace. And I actually think yep. that that is probably one of the great skills of, of those writers when you translate that then to take it into a musical. Because oh, yeah. in a sense, you're working at how do you move it? And of course, where Book of Mormon works um, is also that the songs actually also take it forward. They're traveling songs, you know? Yes, in, 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 yes. So, so in, a, in a way, when you look at it, um, you know, you get if you look at a lot of old scale musicals. If you go right back, I don't know, to the nineteen forties, you sometimes had shows that came along, sort of pre rogers and Hammerstein, where they'd come out, they'd play a scene, they'd sing a song, but at the end of the scene, you hadn't got any further forward from when the song started to when it finished. Um, and actually, the, the the pace of that changes. Rodgers and Hammerstein with with their great book musicals and, and and things you know created a wonderful format of of travelling musical theatre as to how the scene carried through the journey into the song and you can't really see the join it's 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 quite seamless as to how those two things happen and yeah. if you look yeah. at it with book of mormon you can't see the join always of when they stop singing and start talking it kind of just travels through but actually the show itself glides through then with the uh, the song that they're singing so when you come out of at it the other side they've also used it so it's paced the scene and it's taken it into the next scene of where it's going which is again very, very skilled comedy book, comedy book writing, or, or book writing in general, but but also particularly comedy, comedy book writing, because it's a, it's a great modern day comedy musical.
0: Yeah, and and I've seen uh, musicals fall into that trap. I'm not going to mention its name, uh, but it's an adaptation of a non musical into a musical, and it was a very funny stage farce. When it turned into a musical, the characters would say what they're feeling in the scene in the book, and then sing a song that just completely repeated what they just said in the scene. So you go, well, I didn't need a four minute song on that. You just told me exactly how you're feeling. And I guess the song was nice, but uh, doesn't do much for me. And now I feel like my time might be wasted. And I think the other thing that's a really smart thing that they chose not to do
1: was to, to do a musical that was South Park the musical. Right. They chose right. an original story and they chose to write something in that particular in that particular way. So they have the ability that's from the writers of South Park, but it's not South Park, the musical. Mm-hmm. So actually, you you know, it's not like when they had SpongeBob SquarePants and those writers come together and do that. This is the writers who write that show, but they're actually, you know what, coming together and they're they're doing something new. So you've got the strength, right. You've got. South Park as a as a hook to a certain audience, but actually they've got that wonderful freedom that they can write something where they can also appeal to a to a to a wider demographic in, in, yes. in the work. That they're creating.
0: Yes, and we've talked about that before. Like for a show to succeed on Broadway, there almost has to be an element of appealing to the longtime fans of Broadway. Like uh, you know, if you come at them with the same music that's in like bloody bloody andrew jackson that's a really interesting and well put together musical but you're going to have people who are like yeah you know what that music isn't really appealing to me and i you know i don't want to I, I, i'm not necessarily uh, going out to broadway to see something like that
1: yeah i mean bloody bloody andrew jackson also has a problem I mean, it's an interesting musical. It has a problem with its title yeah in, actually the, that that title puts off some audience members yeah it's you know it's that interesting thing of currently on, 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 if we're looking at drama and plays, Mike Bartlett's play in London, Cock is getting a revival at the moment. They <laughs> okay. can't advertise on the underground a play which has Cock in the title. The same. <laughs> so you've got the faces of the two actors saying an extraordinary theatre event, but you, you actually play. haven't got the title of the play. So you've got to know who these two actors are to know what the play is. And yeah. on Broadway, when that play came over to New York, actually didn't play Broadway, it played at Lincoln Center. They couldn't call it okay. Cock there. They had to call the whole show Cock Fight. And that was the only way they could get it onto the posters.
0: Oh, my um, God.
1: And so bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson probably makes some people feel, you know, particularly the older Broadway yep. audience, possibly a bit standoffish, saying, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. And and of course, the subject matter isn't going to connect necessarily with an international audience, which if you're coming onto Broadway becomes quite important because when you're looking at a musical and are producing uh, a musical now and today in 2022, it, the longevity that it takes to recoup relies on several things it relies on repeat business so it relies on that audience who can have a great time they want to come again they want to tell a friend they want to right. come back a second time to see it um it also relies on the domestic audience where afterwards mm-hmm. perhaps the show can go off and tour because it's actually the the, 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 the touring often that can finally push the f- recoupment back on a musical because right. if you're working at the most right. Broadway musicals possibly take two years maybe to recoup possibly if it's a large-scale yep. musical then we're talking about if it's not hitting quite that level, you've got to just try and push it over the edge to be able to, you know, um, uh, recoup that possibly back on the tour. I mean, a great recent example of that is A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Right.
0: Um, which yes. Did not
1: recoup, which did not recoup on Broadway, despite winning the, 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 the Tony Award. It actually took the tour afterwards to push it over recoupment. So yeah. we're talking a very long journey. But if you're thinking about it now as a as, as an entity, uh, and it's just the, the cost, of, the share cost of trying to produce on Broadway today, um, if you're thinking about the entity of a show that you're making. Uh, that longevity afterwards becomes a really important factor. And, of course, Book of Mormon that has that appeal of a wide audience that can work in a domestic market, which is perhaps a little bit more, uh, 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 you know, a little bit more uh, picky, perhaps, in its shows and the subscriber season of what it wants to present. It's got to be able to sit there against the more populous titles and and, and also find its audience and its demographic of where it's working. So success on Broadway is important, but equally as important as that domestic market
0: right right and i think you hit on a couple of things there that are kind of interesting like the idea of the title well everybody knows that title <laughs> i mean it's already a book you know i mean it would be like yeah. if you said the bible the the musical yeah. um, i mean of course but- a lot of people were confused and and, and funny enough, i was actually
1: in, in in the west end about three or four weeks ago at um, a performance of pretty woman i'd gone to see and uh mm-hmm. i had a i had a very very strange encounter in the gentleman's toilets of the Savoy Theatre, uh, which was at the end of the performance. It's uh, not that sort of encounter, but it was an encounter <laughs> <that> basically. <laughs> It was basically at the end of the show. That this, there were three of us in the in the toilets, utilising the facilities at the end of the performance. And this guy came out and said, "That was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant." He'd had such a great time, and he told us his name was James, and he he'd come to the theatre with his girlfriend, and he had only just got into theatre through lockdown. And his first previous show he'd been to see his first show he'd seen was *Woman in Black*. He'd been to see um. Uh, Lion King, which was his next show. And he'd had to come to this because it was the anniversary of a date with his, with his girlfriend they're, okay. they're sort of of sort getting together. So he wasn't sure he was going to enjoy pretty woman, but he'd had a really, really good time at the theater scene. And then he said to <laughs> us, I want to go and see something else, but you know, a friend of mine mentioned this book, of Mormon thing, but I don't know because it's all religious, isn't it? And that was when we said, no, 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 no. I think you're really. Oh uh, no, 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 I no, no. Yeah. Him, do, I said to him, do you like South Park? He said, Oh, yeah, 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 I do. And he said, now I understand why my friend said I quite enjoy it because I couldn't understand why he was talking about this religious musical. (laughs) And actually, actually the whole thing was interesting that there's still a perception of some audience, of course, that we're all saying as regular theatre goers, yeah, we get it, we know. But there is an element of an audience that's looking at that title that still may think it's a, oh, a right. you know, a, a musical that is about about moments, and actually you have got to get over that with with strong marketing and how you you position yep. it and, yep. and, and 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 those bits of and so this words from the makers of South Park, well he was certainly that
0: sort of target audience that would, would right, come and, right. You know. Well, speaking of that, that's a perfect transition into where I wanted to go next, which is uh, for our listeners who might not know anything about the show to briefly describe a synopsis of the show right. and give them kind of an idea of what we're talking I, I, I'm, about i'm looking forward to hearing how you do this because it's of okay.
1: an intriguing little show to try oh to my god and explain
0: well what i'm going to do is i'm only going to give a synopsis of the first act because the second act like i don't want to spoil it i want right. people to go out and find it but uh, i, I want to give you enough that you go wow how would this resolve um And and I'm going to give kind of an idea of how it wraps up. I'm not going to totally spoil it, but how they get there is just kind of interesting. Uh, So anyway... Two Mormon missionaries are at the missionary training center in Salt Lake City, and they get sent to Uganda. One of them is Elder Price, who is fairly certain he can be the best Mormon missionary to have come out of Salt Lake City. The other is Elder Cunningham, an overweight outcast who is happy to have a new best friend who, because of church rules, is not allowed to leave him like everyone else in his life has so far. (laughs) Not funny yet. But my God, those first few numbers are just hilarious. Anyway, they arrive in Uganda to find the place plagued by the AIDS virus, famine, and the villagers are terrorized by a vicious warlord who is more or less terrified by the female clitoris and generally demands to have all women circumcised. There are plenty of other problems as well. The villagers somewhat set aside their woes by singing Hasadiga Ibowai, which translated into English means fuck you, God. <laughs> it doesn't solve their problems, but it makes them feel better. <laughs> elders Price and Cunningham are utterly appalled that these villagers have to constantly blaspheme in order to live with their circumstances, and they feel quite dejected. So the two elders then meet up with the rest of the missionaries who have been sent there, and they discuss their plight. They they are replied to their dejection, with a big tap number called turn it off, which demonstrates a Mormon trait of simply ignoring negative feelings so things can just seem happy and okay. This may be why none of the other elders have had any luck converting any Ugandans <laughs> to their church. Elder Price is reinvigorated, uh, has reinvigorated his determination, but it's quickly cooled when the warlord who's named General Buttfucking Naked, descends upon the village to demand that all women must be circumcised by the end of the week. When a villager protests, the warlord shoots him in the face and Price gets splattered with blood. The warlord leaves and Price becomes so discouraged that he puts in for a transfer and leaves Cunningham behind. But this leaves Cunningham the opportunity to step into his own as a man and start converting the willing. The only problem is he's never actually read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> So act two, that's the end of act one. Act two sees a lot of challenges to these characters. Price does return, has some stuff happen to him. Cunningham does grow a faith in some way, despite his ability to convert people exactly to the LDS church. I mean, overall, the play is a story about bringing people to faith to enrich their lives, regardless of how nonsensical the source material may be. I don't know, how do you think I did? I think it did pretty
1: well, actually. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> just listening to it there because I'm sure that some listeners, if they've not seen it and don't watch other show, are probably scratching their head saying, "How can this be funny?" It's How listening. can this be funny? And uh, you know, it's it's, <laughs> in, it's it's interesting on a couple of on a couple of points. The first one is that. Uh, the first the, the first reaction when you hear it and you hear about the show and i can remember when i was first being told about it it being lined up as a show to happen was are the book of mormon are the mormons themselves going to come out in protest i'll be going to yes. see protests outside the theater
0: and um, that's where i'm going because, next that's where i'm going yeah, next
1: because it's interesting interesting there hasn't been so much in the mormons they they've sort of rather embraced it and because they actually do something which is very neat about the joke because they make they they have fun at the 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 the, the mormons expense but they don't make them look really really stupid they're actually quite respectful towards them actually as a faith yes and i think that's a golden key as to why why it works and in fact the mormons actually i, I don't know if they still do but when it first opened in, in london they actually took an advert out in the uh, in the program the people who haven't liked book of mormon are actually interestingly a lot of other christian groups and different faith groups yeah um a lot yeah. of them who haven't seen the show but as was the case with jerry spring of the opera which if you ever saw that involved uh the idea that christ was there in a diaper at one point in the show and, <laughs> had, and had uh had um a real upset across religious groups and protests outside the theatres and often from people who, of course, haven't seen the show but have have merely heard about what its content is. And and interesting that the recent tour of Book of Mormon that's been going around the UK has actually seen a few of those protests and complaints, not outside the theatre. Oh, I'm sure being quite upset from 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 church groups but it's been it's been comparatively quiet in in in, in the west end to, to to the response of how people have responded to that and i right. think it's because the mormons themselves have not come out and been angry about it and i think right. had they been it would have really created a lot more of a reaction of what uh, of what's what's coming out and, and possibly how people would have reacted in a different way right to that.
0: Right. And I'm headed there. I'm headed there. Uh, there's, there's kind of an interesting way to look at that, especially from the perspective of why Parker and Stone and Lopez really have a deep found respect for Mormons. And it is their ability to like, be able to kind of just still look at the world through rose tinted glasses. You know uh i mean there are a lot of other faiths that will like focus on the horror and everything and we've got to make prayer circles for these people and everything and 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 it's just there's this way it's like don't you know i you acknowledge as a people that these awful things are happening in the world right and they go yeah and just kind of shrug their shoulders <laughs>
1: and i yeah. think that's the thing about it on stage there is a likability about those two characters right yeah that you actually are willing them to succeed you mm-hmm. you, you, you have a wonderful nature and that again it's the skill of this book writing that we're looking at where you actually completely invest in these two characters mm-hmm. and you want them to to, to to come out okay and in yeah. fact you want the Mormons to succeed and you want it to all work and and you really feel like suddenly you're you're part of the gang and yeah it's a it's a really great
0: feeling inside the theater when you watch yeah. that show so, you know, so with a big smile on your face yeah so first reactions to the play oh my god reviews just ate it up they loved it they absolutely loved it it's now heralded in reviews. And I think this is another reason why people who look at the title and they go, uh, do I want to go see this uh, two and a half hour musical about religion? It's not. A, it, it is about religion thematically, but <laughs> they, there were uh, reviews that said like the funniest show I've ever seen or yeah. God's favorite musical. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, just made people like it even, even more, uh, uh, the, the, the advertising all had these chipper white boys with perfect teeth, all with these big goofy smiles and bright eyes. And it just made you go, I don't know how I would not enjoy this. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, there's, so as we were saying earlier, there was an expectation that there would be this huge negative reaction or even protest from the Mormon community. And it had exactly the opposite of that.
1: (laughs) And what I think is interesting is that the the Mormons were quite clever themselves in how they responded to it. Because Mm -hmm. I think they sat down and said, okay, can't stop this. So what do we need to do? Well, let's turn around and embrace it. And in a way, Hmm. it's quite a clever pincer movement on their own parts as well, because actually it it kind of sort of, Actually, it's probably got a lot more people who've gone away after seeing Book of Mormon and have Googled, wanting to find out a bit more about the Mormon faith. Not necessarily to become a Mormon, but wanting to know more, more about it. Yeah, and it's driven it in a way that actually has 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 come because they haven't been confrontational about it. Right. And I think you know they've been very clever and quite smart in how they've. And actually, you know, it's probably been the greatest advert
0: for them, for them, for the Mormons. Actually. Oh my God! It was so great. A lot done, a lot you mentioned the uh the ads they took out in the playbills and it was like you know uh it had the website for the church and it had a picture of a nice looking person and it it was like a quote from that person said the book is always better (laughs) now i i suspect
1: that at first that rather threw the producers of it because i would imagine that as we all know, the idea of controversy
0: oh, can sometimes
1: yeah. have that perception that it can sell tickets. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that actually, if you're trying to think, well, what we're going to do is, ups- is upset, and that's going to give us weeks of news coverage and news stories and things. You know, it, it was a very clever move maneuver from the Book of Mormon because uh, by the Mormons, because it sort of took any of that that heat out of uh, out of what that situation might be. Right. And in a way, right. it saw the producers sort of, in a sense, having to therefore get on side with the Mormons. Yeah, it actually, meant there had to be this <laughs> this thing because actually, if you're going to take an ad an advert like that and do that, well, mm-hmm. actually, you're 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 really sort of you know you diffusing the, the 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 far before it's even you know before you're trying right. to ban it. And- well,
0: this this is actually kind of interesting. I, I found this this was their this was from their official statement. You can find this at, uh, on the LDS Church's archives. This was a quote directly from their statement. They said. The production may attempt to entertain audiences for, for an evening, but the Book of Mormon as a volume of scripture will change people's lives forever by bringing them closer to Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and they went, it's a nice show, but, you know, I mean, the actual faith is something that's worth looking into.
1: Yeah.
0: And you see, what was interesting about Jerry Springer, the opera was that the uh, the producers
1: all the time on that show, and certainly when it went elsewhere, and particularly I remember in Australia, were trying extremely hard all the time they can to try and spin controversy, to try Mm -hmm. and get, so, to much extent, I mean, I think probably they had, you know, a few of their friends and people trying to send letters to the papers saying how upset they were and angry about it, because the idea there was completely the other way. If we get people angry and upset and controversial, people are going to say, we've got to come and see the most controversial show. And actually in a way, it didn't give it the longevity um because there's a lot of people who get a bit turned off by that and i think if you had the mormons upset you'd have had a lot more of the christian groups and people saying you know this feels like it's those south park guys and you know i don't like watching south park on tv so i don't think i want to come and see this in fact actually what you did was you really encompassed a whole group of people that's actually quite an interesting musical about as you were just saying now and about faith and and what is your faith and it asks some quite Big questions within within all of itself yes. of the show as well, which is another great another great great strength of that musical actually mm-hmm.
0: now that leads into where I wanted to head to next is how Trey Parker and Matt Stone responded to those initial things before the show even opened of how do you think the Mormons are going to take this and their basic outset was we're not making fun of Mormons <laughs> we're not making fun of the people we're making fun A lot of the basis of their faith, but the fact that they are able to have that faith and go out and still do helpful things to people is really impressive about them. You know, um, I think it's something that I read uh, uh, a Mormon comedian uh, saw it uh, during its opening run and. She came out, she said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen because it absolutely skewers the faith and they get it 100% right. Everything about it is absolutely accurate. And, And she said, yeah, you know, there are things that are in our faith. We're almost embarrassed to tell people because it is part of our faith and we just don't want it to get out. For example, our God lives on a planet somewhere and I can't remember, a Kolob. And we believe that. We honestly believe that. There are some of us who believe that when we die, we get a planet all to ourselves. And we legitimately believe that. That's part of our faith structure. And what Stone and Parker are saying is, that's utter nonsense, but keep doing what you're doing because it's helping the world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that's the more question of faith in general, isn't it really? Because none of us really, really know, but actually that, that belief of something or having faith Whatever mm-hmm. that is, it's a very powerful thing, and actually, it's a very comforting thing, and I guess it's where you find that faith and that and that and that comfort, you know. In right,
0: right. Thing. And so, from Trey Parker and Matt Stone's perspective, they did an episode on South Park where they completely slammed uh, how Joseph Smith made the church and handed it off to his friend, Brigham Young. And they convinced a whole bunch of people that, uh, you know, the Holy land is Utah and, you know, they, they really nailed it. But at the end of the show, it it, it starts with, uh, you know, this family, this new family of Mormons moving in and they're really pleasant. And they invite people over for nice family dinners. And hey, we're doing game nights. And oh, tonight we're putting on a play for each other. And isn't that fun? Gosh, we're we're just really happy, well-adjusted people. And then they go, oh, it's time for a reading for the Book of Mormon. And everybody gathers around and they have popcorn and snacks and stuff. And a lot of people will decry this as like a uh, harsh or subtle conversionary tactics, but you know, they they tell a story and what you get out of it is the story kind of ridiculous, but these people are some of the nicest and most well-adjusted people that you would want to have in your community. And, <laughs> and, and the people who are skeptical of it are the ones who turn out being complete assholes, <laughs> basically. <laughs> now, I mean, I've known people who uh, like grew up in the Mormon faith and they couldn't live with that level of like just ignoring Um, you know, negativity. And, and, and it was really traumatic for them. Uh, And they've gone out and started to do things in their own ways and try to make the world a better place. And I'm like, you know, that it's interesting that that happened because it's almost an indirect method of, they still got you. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's the same,
1: I think probably with like every faith though. I mean, of course, you know, there'll be some people who will debate whether the world was made in seven days or not. Right. Right. It's it's uh, it's a question of, you know, the the perceptions, but, you know, in a sense, one also. I think with with things with faith takes what they need out of it and what they want to feel mm-hmm. and and actually it's a yeah it's an emotion and a connection and um actually it's it's often about the the morals and the kindness and how you treat people and all of those elements as much right, as, right. as some of those 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 other you know, things that sometimes don't always make as much as much sense as they as, as as they as they might do and that's not just mormon faith that's you know faith 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 and faith in general but in a way you you want to believe those things because actually they they in some ways help give a purpose to, 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 to other aspects of, of right. your life and, and, and the teachings and things that come out of them. And, and certainly some of the, the the beliefs that the Mormons have and the, the codes and how you behave and how you treat people, as you were just saying, Aaron, you know, they're actually great lessons for people in life, what, whatever faith you come from within that. World. Absolutely. And I think that's there and present in the Book of Mormon. It's actually a, a show also about how you treat people and how you treat each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's actually a point um, that they make very, very significantly. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of spoil it. Uh, Elder Cunningham in act two uh, when he's pressed by the Ugandan villagers he's living with, Hey, tell us more about this book of Mormon. Cause it sounds like you've got some good stuff to talk about and he doesn't know anything about the book of Mormon. He starts inserting storylines from sci-fi movies and books and everything. And at the end of all of it, he he does actually convert a lot of people to his somewhat bastardized faith that he's just made up, but they start looking at the world in a different light. And at the end of it, uh, he's kind of exposed and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I lied to you. And they all go, well, we knew they weren't real stories. We knew- <laughs> like we've heard of luke skywalker you know <laughs> so uh, but but what you did was teach us to look at the world through a new perspective so if that's helping us then great you and know if, when- you, if you if you look i was going to
1: say just on that note so I'm gonna, I'm, was gonna, if you look at that actually and you look at how many people in the last census decided that they wanted to put down for their religion jedi it yeah. kind of sits down and, and makes, but of course, you have Star Wars. If you, if you analyze that is a complete story of faith and good and evil and absolutely and coming through. And actually the whole story of, of faith is, is embedded within, within Star Wars and, and, and a, a very strong moral yep.
0: code. Absolutely. So by that, what, what uh, Parker and Stone have ultimately said is look, it's these people who take the origins of your faith Literally, that are the ones that cause problems. You know, the people who say that Satan is teasing us by putting dinosaur bones in the ground because the earth is only 6,000 years old. There's no way there can be things that are millions of years old in the ground already. Those are the people who are causing problems. They're the ones who can't take the world with a grain of salt. I mean, even. Richard, several years ago, I took a, a, a philosophy class, and it was all about uh, medieval Christian and Muslim uh, theology and philosophy. And you know, most of it was, how do we relate to God? How do we know God exists? What, how does God see things like time and, and stuff like that? And I remember at the beginning of the class, uh, the instructor asked me, so, so how do we know that God exists? And I said, well, I think it's just a leap of faith. And he said, no, 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 I don't think that's it. And we got to the end of class and we start talking about St. Thomas Aquinas, who at the end of all of his writings, and I, you know, please feel free, shoot me some emails and tweets uh, out there who are going to uh, hate on this. At the end of his studies, he goes, you know what? It's all a leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> like i mean we all have pretty good significant evidence that it's it's out there but you know it's up to you to make yeah. that jump exactly. <laughs> but it's nice to have something to believe in i think sometimes yeah, as yeah.
1: Well, you know yeah um, and also there's a set as we came back to a second ago the the code the code that you live by and i think book of mormon does say something to its audience about that and it and it and it makes some quite strong you know moral and political points actually and i mean of course uganda is a is a country that they choose to settle on that's had terrific problems with joseph Kony who and his abduction oh, yeah. child soldiers and all of those it's, it's a very interesting point about the um the, the choice of country uh that the the, the the two writers choose on because there is a a um play called Busman's Holiday um it was turned into a book called The Worst date Ever written by a lady called <laughs> Jane Busman and Jane Busman was a writing on part of the writing team at one point with uh, I think either with South Park or certainly with Matt and Trey and oh, wow. um the, the premise of her book and her and her subsequent theater show is about the fact of her going off on a pursuit of a of a date she uh, she falls for She's actually a, a magazine interviewer. So she's been interviewing people like Ashton Kutcher and all those people. But at <laughs> one point she, she, she decides that John Prendergast who at that point was working very closely with Clinton and was his sort of political, okay, looked yeah. a great person. He'd be a fantastic person to have a date with. Uh, but she has to, she's a, she's a, she's a celebrity column writer. It's a true story. She's a celebrity column writer. And so she has to try and find a way of getting to him. And she works out the way to do it maybe is to go to Uganda and uh, where he was going and, and get a place uh. teaching, teaching children at a Ugandan school and actually what she does is she uncovers a complete warlord who's out there and actually strangely (laughs) ends up becoming a Coming right, it's writing a story that ends up getting picked by the BBC and becoming like a world, you know, world correspondent. A lot of things oh go wrong on the way. Uh, unfortunately, the article she gets asked to write for the Times newspaper, I think it is before that, doesn't actually end up in the Times because she sends it to the wrong Sean Hayes. And unfortunately, she sends it to the, the Sean Hayes off Will and Grace by mistake rather than <laughs> Sean Hayes. So it's a very, very funny show. And she's a, she's a genius, genius writer. But I also have always been interested by the fact when I see Book of Mormon and it's setting with Uganda. I, I wonder if they ha, you know, had a chat with her and she talked about her mad time in Uganda and that experience. And a little light bulb went off and said, Hey, that's an interesting place to kind of like maybe. Yeah. Set this, set yeah.
0: Idea. I mean, you could put it, I mean, there's so many places in Africa that have had, uh, you know, just decades of strife. Uh, you know, I mean, you could set it in Nigeria, for example, and yeah. still, you know, you'd have a, its own host of problems. Yeah. Uh, Although, South interestingly,
1: Africa. I wonder if Uganda is one of those great successes because you don't know as much perhaps about that country as you do about Nigeria or South Africa. So actually as an audience, you come to it not being sort of two or three steps ahead of the game with that, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's like, we talked the last time about Hamilton, I think. And why does Hamilton work? Well, Hamilton perhaps works because Mm Lin-Manuel Miranda decides not to write about Abraham Lincoln. But he decides yeah. to pick someone where you know some of the facts, but maybe not everything. But n- maybe not everything. More mm-hmm. like that as a country than if, as we were talking about saying, if it'd been South Africa or if it'd been Nigeria.
0: So I bought the uh, book to accompany the musical that they oh, yeah. sell in the bookstore, and there's this great line in uh, the song "Hasadiga Ibowai, you know, "Fuck you, God," um, and uh, it's this line that says, "If you don't like what we say, try living here a couple days." <laughs> and everything that they're talking about, you know, the 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 female circumcision, the uh the, the constant threat of death, the AIDS, the um uh everything that's going on, it's a reality for them on a yeah. daily basis. And somehow they have still found the will to live and keep living, you know. Yeah. So so it's like it's it's such an interesting problem to come into when yeah. you're just trying to get people to believe in your faith. So, so like,
1: let's also just take that point, though, because it's a very interesting one to say, if you're looking at it today as a musical in in you know, the early 20,000s 20, 20, 20, when it got written, um, yeah. if you think about what they're writing and what they're talking about, it almost shows the power of the musical. How you yes. can take a musical and you can actually bring an audience in, and in a sense you can play a bit of a contract on them guess what here comes a lot of fans of south park here come a lot of you know theater fans coming in thinking we're coming to a comedy musical you're getting that but underneath it all you're getting this very very powerful message probably a message that you're going to go away and think about some of these things going on in the world that you've not been confronted before you know when you walked in on your sunday matinee performance you were going to see it on broadway you're suddenly walking away thinking about some of this stuff and actually this musical, for all its comedy has embedded these things. you're going to go away and, and and think about the world and, and perhaps maybe you know feel that you've got to make some stand about it or donate to a charity or do something. Now, if you take that now, look at the legacy as to how perhaps we reach that. And if you go all the way back and think about a show like South Pacific and you sit down and think again, it reflects the power of the musical because if this was a play, You'd get a certain audience, but you wouldn't get that right. broad mass audience that a musical mm-hmm. would have. And the reason I say South Pacific is an interesting example of that is because I think it's one of those great musicals. That if you want to learn about racism and what was going on inside America and the attitudes at that particular time, South yes. Pacific kind of does that. And again, it pulls an audience in thinking it's going to see one thing. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly there is this undertone of storyline that's embedded within it. Showboat does exactly the same thing. I mean, Showboat is probably one of the greatest musicals of all time ever, the most important musicals all time ever written on on, on Broadway because of what it does, it comes in and suddenly here we have these other storylines, but the audience that's come in initially is thinking they're coming for their Sunday matinee or their night out at the theater and they're coming to a happy musical. They're getting all of that but actually mm-hmm. then the skill of the writing is how you embed these other points so you're just going to take it away and probably make you think a little bit yep. more which is why yep. i would sit down and say that probably book of mormon sits right up there with south pacific and showboat in the sense of what it actually does and what it achieves as a musical and 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 its importance because i do think it's got something very important to say as a show as well
0: yep yep a Oh, man, my Tridentinos, this is fascinating stuff, isn't it? And Richard and I have a lot more to cover, and we'll do that in another two weeks. I hope you're enjoying this stuff so far, and if so, please do all that stuff that podcasters ask you to do. Like, share, subscribe write a quick review, all that jazz. Please, please, please. All of those things help this show reach more people, and I've got plenty more to share. So again, thanks for joining us today. We'll be back in another two weeks. So for this episode, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, signing off, and I'll see you at intermission.